baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. We're glad you're with us on KCBS In-Depth. I'm Jane McMillan. A new film documentary is making its Bay Area debut this weekend. It looks at the impact that tobacco marketing has had and continues to have on the African-American community. Black Lives, Black Lungs is the first film by 23-year-old Lincoln Mundy. He's traveling around the nation introducing it and reintroducing this critical health and social justice issue to audiences both new to this struggle and those who've been coping with it for many years. Someone who is not new to the struggle but every bit as much determined and enthusiastic about addressing it is Carol Magruder, a veteran of tobacco control issues and legislation, working nationwide but based here in the Bay Area. And I'm very happy to have them both on In Depth this weekend. Carol Magruder and Lincoln Mondi, thank you very much for being on KCBS In Depth. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for, for having us. Before we start talking about the documentary mm-hmm. uh, and, and the background, the history of this issue, let's begin first with um, the organizations that are kind of behind this. And Lincoln, this is your first film, um, mm-hmm. but you work with an organization that is trying to get the truth out about tobacco products. Tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, so the film was actually um, supported by Truth Initiative. I was one of their youth activism fellows. Um, and Truth Initiative is a national public health organization that works to seek and spread the truth about tobacco. Um, and they've done incredible work really supporting creatives like myself to really make sure that impacted community members are at the table when we're talking about our community. Okay. And and Carol, you are with the African-American Tobacco Control Leadership Council. Yes, I'm the co-chair of the council. We call it the AATCLC. We will be 10 years old next year. Uh, We were formed. uh, We're comprised of African-American tobacco control advocates, researchers all over the state of California. We do national work. And we were formed really to help our state, uh, California Department of Public Health, put some energy and more focus into the party populations who still are heavy smokers. You know, California's had a great ride with our tobacco control here. We're second behind Utah. But unfortunately, there are many communities, and the African-American community is one of them, who still have high smoking prevalence rates and have not enjoyed the same benefits of our tobacco control experience in California as everyone else. All right. Both of you jump in and tell me, what is the issue with the tobacco industry and how you see that it's targeted specifically the African-American population? So this film is actually very personal to me. Um, I had no idea about tobacco control before I started working with Truth Initiative in 2015. Uh, I actually grew up in a small town, Farmersville, Texas, uh, which is very rural, as the name suggests. And I grew up with a white mother uh, and black father. And growing up, I saw my white mom and family, if they used tobacco, smoke non-menthol tobacco products or use chewing tobacco, which was big in Texas. But for my black family, my father, they exclusively smoked menthol. And growing up, I thought this was just something that was part of life. I mean, black people love menthol. I joined in on all the jokes. I didn't really understand 
that this wasn't a coincidence until I started looking at the evidence and the research, part by Carol Magruder and her colleagues, uh, Phil Gardner and Valerie Yerger, that showed the tobacco industry has successfully infiltrated my community through philanthropic donations, through targeted advertising, through political activity, to make menthol cigarettes so much a part of my black culture. Let's talk about then menthol. Mm-hmm. When did this come on the market? Why is menthol or why has it been uh, particularly attractive to the African-American community? And, and how have the tobacco, have, has the tobacco industry made it so? Well, um, most folks who know, as Lincoln just said, with Newports, you know, that's part of in any like the wire out of Baltimore that Newports was a co-star because it was Mm -hmm. featured so prominently in many of the scenes. And that's what all the folks smoked. We did. It wasn't always that way. So the um, you know, and Lincoln and I were talking about the the other things aside from the, the, the predatory marketing so that the tobacco industry actually had programs that are documented in their own internal tobacco industry documents that were released as part of all the litigation that we've had in these past decades. So in their own documents, they talk about how they study us, how they uh, went into the inner cities and gave away free products, stayed away from the suburbs, which at that time were white children. Um, and so they had many pro- many projects, and the, the media and Ebony and Jet um, were supported by Newports. Um, there is a wonderful online collection of all of the tobacco marketing that appeared in Ebony and Jet that's out of at Stanford University. So you can go on Stanford EDU and Google that and see every single advertising that was there. So it was just a com- combination, a confluence of all these things that just doubled our menthol rate, doubled it again. So when you see the charts over the years, it just doubles and doubles. And they managed to associate as Lincoln said, the culture, so the cool, you know, when I was a young woman and going to Oakland, the cool jazz festival, Marvin Gaye, I remember thinking how wonderful it was that cool was, you know, helping us. And this is something that a phenomenon that we see with the LGBT community in that when you're marginalized, you're so happy to see yourself, you don't think about what's behind the sale of that. So, you know, the products that wanted to advertise with African-Americans were alcohol and tobacco at one point. Mm-hmm. That was that. Those were the only groups that spent money to, to have us as customers. And so that phenomena of initially communities can experience this as something good and beneficial to them when they're selling deadly products. Yeah, and I just want to go off of that. One of the things that Black Lives, Black Lungs, my short film, shows is that this is a very nuanced and complicated issue. The tobacco industry was one of the first industries that started integrating their workplace. They were strategic. They befriended the community. They knew that it was a community that was underserved and under um, privileged. And so they kind of targeted us because of that and because they knew they could get away with it. So while, like Phil Gardner in my film says, while black people couldn't get a seat at the lunch counter, they were being promoted in North Carolina in tobacco offices. And the tobacco industry is very strategic in this because it was good to see black models and black families and ads that weren't like gang members that were smiling that were happy so it was a double-edged sword and the tobacco industry was very strategic so that now uh, when the menthol ban comes on the table they have certain whistles and they have certain people that mobilize against them we're going to talk about the legislation about banning Mm -hmm. menthol in a moment but i want to go back to um because because i am not african-american although i grew up in households, uh, the greatest generation, my parents, mm-hmm. everybody smoked. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were ads targeted toward each group. You know, I remember exactly. seeing the ads uh, towards the Caucasian family relaxing with the parents smoking cigarettes. So give us, again, going back to the historical, when did the menthol uh, thing come on the market and what made the industry 
feel that that was something specifically the African-American community would want? Um, so it is complicated. Menthol cigarettes were, were were started by an accident. Someone had their menthol cough drops next to their cigarette spuds, I think, was the initial one. So how how the tobacco industry decided to target us, they just saw that the, the room for growth of a market so that we weren't big menthol smokers. So they saw that as an op- a business opportunity. But the practices that they used were above and beyond the normal advertising that they did because they do, that's one of the things they're great at is segmenting their messaging and their marketing. But other communities did not have the free tobacco giveaways that we did. They didn't have the inundation of the media. And they also didn't have all of the other social ills that we have that prevent us from fighting back. So while people are worried about um, economic issues, uh, police brutality now, uh, you know, homelessness, cigarettes just don't, other hard drugs, heroin, you know, now the U.S. is facing this opioid epidemic, but we've had crack, we've had heroin, and we're treated as, we're criminalized for that as a community. Um, So cigarettes just didn't seem like that bad of a thing. And cigarettes also, it's it's a way for people to self-medicate. So people see it as a stress reliever. So communities that have high stress, that's one of the things that's legal that they can do that's cheaper in our communities, more advertised. So and then it's addictive. So people are think they think they're soothing themselves. A lot of times they get hooked. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think at the end of the day, yes, the tobacco industry targets everyone, but you really have to examine who's hurting the most from it. And evidence and research piles shows that the African-American community is disproportionately affected, where now you have nine in 10 African-American smokers smoke menthol. And the CDC reports that menthol is easier to pick up and harder to put down because it masks the harshness of tobacco. So when you're looking at this big ecosystem and you can acknowledge that everyone is being targeted, but you have to acknowledge that the African American population is being disproportionately impacted by it. When did this real push start? When you when you're talking about uh, especially um, kind of the, the the two things happening at the same time: the marketing mm-hmm. to the African American community, specifically the menthol, and then the embracing of the African American community within the corporations themselves and other products that the community. Uh, would partake in magazines and media. When what years are we talking about when this really ramped the, the up? The sixties and the seventies mm-hmm. is when it ramped up. The sixties and the seventies, and so they were able to link um, to link on to uh, the Black Consciousness Movement. Uh, you know the boldness, um, mm-hmm. the 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 images, the imagery that we saw directly linking to us. Be, you know, becoming black people from Negroes and colored people. So they managed to hook on to all of these things, and they also gave our organizations money. So uh, there's a research paper done by Dr. Valerie Yerger called Smoking with the Enemy, and in it, from their own documents, they really paid uh, tribute to all of the African-American organizations, all the leadership groups. So they would come, and they would pay for a conference. They would pay for uh, dinners. They would give uh, money to some of our re- well-respected leaders, and this continues until today, actually. Mm-hmm. to front for them and to blunt any kind of public health issues, that any kind of public health advancements that we were trying to make. So at one point when tobacco control really started taking a hold, it was seen as something that white folks did 
who didn't have any other problems, and that before African Americans were involved in tobacco control, uh, people would say that the, the white people were being uh, they were pe- uh, being uh, paternalistic to us. That we had a right, and that when the menthol issue came, it actually was a website about it's our right to choose for ourselves. We're adults, mm-hmm. and that we don't need people to protect us. And so, since we have so many other issues, you know, that's something that black advocates weren't really getting into because they were into all the other things that were seen more immediate and more so important. Am I understanding correctly that the tobacco industry even played on on that part of it? to get the African-American community to reject outreach to yes. get them off tobacco, you off tobacco. Definitely, definitely. And that is recent as President Obama signing the Tobacco Control Act in 2009. And the tobacco industry is so smart and strategic that their funds and their influence isn't secured in one or two different organizations. It's spread out. They have scholarships. They have state scholarships. They fund this group. They fund that group. They have so many different uh, kind of entry points that when it is time to mobilize a community, they have so many different uh, spaces that go out for them when there is a menthol ban. And so at what point did the African-American leadership, especially in media, pick up on this or, or have they all yet? It is still very much a struggle. So Ebony and Jet, um, after Mr. Johnson passed, they don't do the advertising that they used to. And I haven't seen them lately, but I know that there was a big shift away from the tobacco advertising. Mm-hmm. There was also a shift because you couldn't advertise tobacco the way that you, you know, there was a, a, a ban on it. Now with e-cigarettes, that they are managed, it's a loophole for them. So with our National Newspaper Publishers Association, under the leadership now, I'm going to drop some names here, Ben Chavis. He has actually taken, uh, we know of $250,000 from uh, Reynolds American Incorporated. And he's part of a group of folks who are going around the country saying that what we're doing, because we're trying to prohibit and get these products off the market, out of our communities, that it's criminalizing our community, the, the, t- taking these deadly products off of off of the market. So it's still happening today. Exactly. And it's not, it's, it's again, I just want to emphasize this across the board. Um, the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, a lot of people know the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. They're one of the pinnacles of our politics, and, and they have so much influence. Um, the director of the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, Shanice Washington, is a former 20-year vice president of Altria, one of the biggest tobacco companies in the world. And so when we see kind of how intertwined all that is, it's still going on today. It's still pervasive. It's definitely decreased, but it's still having such a huge impact in our community because it's such a struggle to get people to speak out against the tobacco industry, even though it's killing our people. Yes. And so the good news for the Bay Area is that we have local elected officials who are doing what they need to do, which is protect our children and our communities. And tobacco is a local gain because the Mm -hmm. further your politicians get away from you, the less they actually do for you. So here in San Francisco, under Supervisor Malia Cohen, uh, she successfully introduced legislation that was unanimously passed by our Board of Supervisors, signed by Mayor Edley, to restrict the sale of menthol and all flavored tobacco products within the city and county of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So this is historic. It's a total prohibition. So you will not be able to buy Newports or Cools. Or you will not be able to buy bubblegum flavored e-cigarette juice and the, and the flavors that are marketed to children because our children are smoking menthol and they're also smoking these e-cigarettes. Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about the impact of the targeted marketing of tobacco products on the African-American community. I'm joined by Lincoln Mundy, the filmmaker behind the documentary Black Lives, Black Lungs, and by Carol McGruder, co-chair of the African-American Tobacco Control Leadership Council. I'm Jane McMillan. So once the, the problems with tobacco were out in the open, 
uh, and and different states. And in California, we were very fortunate to have a lot of campaigns that mm-hmm. talked about the health hazards of tobacco and um, the marketing to children. Mm-hmm. Uh, flavored tobacco, flavored cigarettes were taken off the market. Joe Camel was, you know, the cartoon characters. Yeah. Did the African-American community get the benefit of those campaigns uh, or were they receptive to those campaigns and did they benefit from the removal of at least those products for kids? Yes. So I I would definitely say they benefited from the removal. But one of the things that got me to do my project is because I didn't see a role or a space um, kind of centering black people in the public health conversation before until I started working with Truth Initiative. I I don't think there's been enough specific campaigning. I think the role is kind of to go mainstream. And when we say mainstream, that means uh, white people. And so I, I saw a need to really center talk with the community and just really focus on us because again we're the most we're disproportionately affected by it so like why aren't we doing the work to really educate our community so i created my film to center black people even in the title to make sure that we're having these conversations because just because just like you said like we're when all these things are happening just for instance the corrective statements a federal judge ruled that the tobacco industry had to run corrective statements and media because of their false advertisements saying that menthol could help your asthma and saying that everything was fresh and uh, doctors approved of it. But when they were made to have corrective statements, it was in newspapers, not Jet and Ebony, what they, which they pumped so much money into. So it was, there was not an equitable response. They there were was not, not an equitable response. Wherever they advertised, they were not forced to also issue these corrective statements. Correct. They were, they were forced to issue corrective statements in national mainstream papers, which again, isn't what they were doing when they were targeting our community with Ebony and Jet with so much black press. They were, they, they kind of, it was a scapegoat. They got to go to like the top line instead of focusing on the issue, which is that they disproportionately infiltrated our community and then weren't, wasn't made to pay for it. Have you seen a change in the young people smoking based on uh, information at least or products not being mm-hmm. marketed to children or because menthol has been so targeted to the African-American community, is that still a gateway for kids? It's very much still a gateway for kids. And so menthol masks the harshness. It helps the poison go down easier. And menthol is a gateway for kids. So what we see is that kids start with menthol or other flavors, but black kids keep going. Other kids might segue. They might transition to other products. But our kids keep going, so our menthol rates continue to rise. And then we have the phenomena also of blackened mouths and Swisher Sweets, the cheap cigars and cigarillos, who were also excluded from the FDA's act when they passed the legislation for the FDA to regulate. So, though, And that's why you still see flavors, because there are many products that are not technically classified as a cigarette, but the only difference between that and a cigarette is just the brown paper. And those products have flavors. So, of course, the tobacco industry is fluid. They just shifted um, advertising. And, and then we have blunts now, so marijuana is legalized. And our black uh, young boys and men were smoking, you know, emptying out the little cheap cigars and putting marijuana in there. So that's a whole new phenomenon. And we were actually seeing young people getting addicted to tobacco, nicotine, through the back door of, 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 of blunts and smoking marijuana and, and tobacco mixed together, which is so you're holding the nicotine, the tobacco in your lungs as long as you can. That's how you smoke marijuana. So there's, you know, there's no research done on that, the outcome of what that's going to be for these folks who have been doing that now for, I think, the practice is about 10 years old. What would you say to people who are listening and who might say, well, the tobacco industry, just like any industry, 
comes up with ways to target individual markets, and they're always looking for ways to grow their markets. And it's kind of the question we started off with as well: is how, uh, and we've talked historically. So, how today are these products being pushed to African Americans, say in a disproportionate way, than maybe the Asian American community? So, or right. any other any as right. you mentioned any marginalized community mm-hmm. that's under stress that has other right. issues. So there's research that particularly for Newports and Menthol that in in neighborhoods and here there are studies done by a, a doctor a professor out of uh, Stanford Lisa Henriksen um, that in in neighborhoods that have high school children African Americans so that's 18 and under the higher the more of of the 18 and under African American children that you have the higher the percentage of media advertising in the stores and the cheaper the prices are for the menthol products that's one way that's the targeting mm-hmm. is done and so as the as the as the media is restricted the advertising the stores become the advertisement so in in urban environments and stores where you have a high concentration of these retailers that have all these products children are going in and out of those stores every day and they're seeing that this is the norm and so p- part of our what our legislation is doing is changing the norm is getting that vector getting that out of our community so Oakland also has enacted legislation to prohibit the sale of these products to adult only tobacco shops so there's just historic things in the Bay Area it's a regional effort mm-hmm. um, San Jose is interested San Leandro just did flavors they didn't do menthol we're going to go back and help them pick up menthol Contra Costa County did it in the unincorporated areas Richmond the city of Richmond so all of our cities are, are investigating because the toll that we pay as taxpayers for the health care of folks who are smoking and then end up ill, and, and the taxpayer pays for that, and, but let alone with the human cost. So we know in the African-American community, when we lose a grandmother at 60 from lung cancer and emphysema, the toll that that takes on our families and causes intergenerational harm because a black grandmother never retires. Uh, mm-hmm. She's always, and grandfathers, they're mm-hmm. always working. They're many, oftentimes, the linchpin of their families. They're, they're the glue. And so when, you, when you're nursing a person for five years who's dying from these illnesses and then they're gone, the hole that that leaves, that that person leaves who dies usually at a young age, causes great harm and, and, and affects everything in our communities. And then the, out, the money, you know, that's spent on tobacco over the course of a family's life of what we could do with that. So we want to um, really get our community and everyone to really understand the political. You know, when I talk about tobacco, it's not about health. It's about the political and economic ramifications mm-hmm. on our community and on our nation and our communities as a whole of who's really paying for that. And we are. When you look at it, the tobacco industry had how many years? Over over 50 years of free reign, of giving free samples in an urban environment, of having this targeted advertisement. That's going to have a lasting effect. That, that doesn't stop at the sign of a new federal law. That doesn't stop at the sign of tobacco industry losing, uh, having to have corrective statements or having to have certain general warnings. That has a lasting effect because now it's in our culture. When people think of menthol, they think of black people. And we don't talk about it as much, but it's, it's in our culture. It's ingrained with our culture because of the lasting, lasting impact. So it's not going to get over in, in two or three years. It's definitely something that we need to work on. And mm-hmm. you were explaining 
when there are other ills in a community, it makes it susceptible. Mm-hmm. People are worried about if I'm a mother and I have a, a young son like Lincoln, I'm worried about him getting home at night. I'm worried about what I consider to be the hard drugs, uh, crack or heroin. So if he's smoking a cigarette, then that's not the worst thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. When actually 45,000 black people die every year from tobacco compared to 8,600 homicides. So the homicides are what we hear about every day. And that's, you know, the, the police involved, officer shootings capture our hearts. But for every Oscar Grant, for every Trayvon, there's six or eight adults, parents and grandparents who are dying uh, from tobacco-related diseases and the harm. So we have to deal with police brutality. We have to deal with these issues, but we have to deal with things simultaneously at the mm-hmm. same time. We can't wait and get this issue solved before we deal with tobacco. Tobacco should be in our top five. Exactly. And like with the framing of my film, I look at tobacco control as a social justice issue. And a lot of people in my generation, we are mobilized and we're active in checking institutions that we perceive as harming our community. And at bottom, tobacco control is a social justice issue. And we have to talk about it in terms that is intersectional and layers with everything else that we have going on in our lives. So like Carol Carol says, we, we're able to multitask. We're able to talk about police brutality. We're able to protest. We're able to march while still talking about the holistic health of the black community. Is there any other product currently that is being marketed or has been marketed specifically to the African-American community, which has been under duress in this country, mm-hmm. that has taken a toll equal to tobacco? Are there other uh, en- entities preying on your community the way you see tobacco as having uh, been preying on it? Um, I would say the cheap fast food is killing us as well, uh, tobacco or something. But so our, our neighborhoods are food deserts, mm-hmm. uh, so- sodas, sweetened beverages, diabetes, mm-hmm. all those things go at hand. So if, you, if you're a diabetic smoker, you're in trouble because that just, you know, smoking just exacerbates every single thing, every other bad thing that's going on in our communities. Mm-hmm. So these, so, you know, the cheap food, the lack of good quality food in our communities is an issue as well um, that we face, the, you know, our social justice issues with violence and things like that. So. Um, you know, I want to kind of we're getting down to the last couple of minutes, but I wanted to ask about the national movement and mm-hmm. some legislation uh, that has been talked about. You mentioned uh, President Obama's uh, legislation, but what else is going on on the national level yeah. addressing this? Yeah. So unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot of movement on the national level addressing this. There's been a lot of calls from the FDA for more research, which they've been doing for a while. It's just merely kind of a stopgap measure. It's just a stalling tactic. Um, There have been advocates like Senator uh, Warren and Markey out of Massachusetts who are calling for a ban on menthol. But really, the gains in this is from the local level, like Carol was saying earlier. There's people across the country like Carol and Phil and Phil Gardner and Valerie Yerger who are working to really make Make sure that community members are mobilized in their local communities. And there's people passing ordinances around the country, local ordinances, to ban menthol. So there hasn't been, and I don't, I'm not holding my breath for um, something more on the national level at this point. I really think at this point it's it's the local level that yes. matters. And so tobacco control, historically, we've been grassroots and peace, you know, a quilt. And so Chicago, I got to give them a shout out, uh, Rahm Emanuel, they were the first city to do something about menthol. Mm-hmm. And so, the, and they were the city, they put up a buffer zone of 500 feet around schools and they litigated it. So they showed other local cities and states that you can do it too. You have the right 
to restrict the sale. So that's what we're talking about. We can't do anything about the manufacturer, but you have the right as a city to say, we don't want these deadly products in our cities. We don't want our children um, uptaking this addictive habit, this addictive practice. Mm -hmm. And it's about really getting serious because so many of the things that we've done, I say the tobacco industry, they play, they play checkers and we play chess. We know we have a little grant the last two years and then you go on to the next <laughs> thing. So when we have leaders like Malia Cohen, like Vice Mayor in Oakland, Annie Campbell Washington, Larry Reed, uh, just taking a stand and saying, you know, that we're going to, and we're talking now about the end game for tobacco. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, we've been rearranging the chairs on the Titanic, but we want to end this thing. So California, our state goal is by 2035, we will have no more, no more smokers in this state. And it is possible. And when we talk to black folks about menthol, they get it because they've lived it. They remember some of these things, people mm-hmm. my age. So they really understand for the this, this is the the vehicle. And I just can't applaud this young brother, Lincoln Monday, enough because his film just really illustrates it. I um, mean, it's short, it's sweet, and so and people when they see it, they they they've lived it, and so mm-hmm. it me it's meaningful and it makes for action. So even if you're a smoker, you don't want your children to smoke, you don't want your grandchildren to smoke, and we have to we have to end this. And so that's what this is about. It's ending this. Carol Magruder, we thank you very much for your insight and expertise, all the work that you're doing with the African American Tobacco Control Leadership Council. Thank you. And Lincoln Mundy, congratulations on your film, Black Lives, Black Lungs. Good luck getting that film out and about to everybody. If you'd like to know more about Lincoln Mundy's documentary, Black Lives, Black Lungs, including where it's being shown this weekend in the Bay Area, go to blacklivesblacklungs.com. And for more information on the work of Carol Magruder and the African-American Tobacco Control Leadership Council, go to savingblacklives.org. We'll have links to both of them on our website, cbssf.com. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Jane McMillan. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. And now available for download at kcbs.com. For all news, 740 and FM 106.9, KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 